0: What is going on, everybody? So, today we are doing something a little bit different. I was interviewed on the Redefining Alpha podcast, and I wanted to share that episode because I think it was a great conversation. And I think there's a lot of takeaways. Uh, We talked about neurotyping, we talked about neurotransmitters uh, more in relationship to shift workers and law enforcement, but there is a lot of stuff that I think you guys are really going to enjoy from that conversation. So, Check out my episode on the Redefining Alpha podcast. Hope you all enjoy,
1: dude. Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on here, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you having me. No problem. Um, yeah, man. So, like, the biggest thing that I wanted to touch base with with you is just the basics of of what you do with neurotyping because it's it's uh, really intriguing to me. Like, I've got I've got a map masters in psych. So I have a background in, in like, you know, um, mental health, if you want to call it there, but just like the psychology and the way the mind works. Right. And, uh, when, when you presented that concept of neurotyping, it was like, like mind blowing to me and like how you were doing it and how you applied it. And then, uh, like basically, um, I guess let's, let's just start there with, uh, with like, you know, what is it, explain it more so that I can more fully understand it yeah. and how you yeah. utilize it. And then if we can get into like, um, you know, the personalities of law enforcement, you know, that type of thing and how understanding more of like your neurotyping is going to help you with training and nutrition too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, let's just kick it off with that, man. Sweet.
0: Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, the under to understand neurotyping, it's, um, essentially when you say, like, what is your neurotype, you're saying, what is your personality type? So we look at, uh, and this this has been kind of studied by psychologists first, and then has transitioned into the fitness space. Uh, so if you've ever done like a personality test for any sort of employment, uh, basically, that's personality typing. Uh, and what psychologists had started to uncover was that when we can see trends in personality traits, so trends when you're answering certain questions, how you would respond to certain situations, we actually get insight into the neurotransmitter balance in your brain. And so I'll give you an easy example. Uh, Somebody who is more prone to be extroverted or, um, you know, thrill-seeking type of person, uh, what we've been able to connect is that they have low levels of dopamine at rest, and dopamine is the neurotransmitter that's responsible for for pleasure or that that reward or motivation center in our brain. And so, somebody who has low dopamine, they're going to seek out activities that are going to give them that dopamine hit. So, anything that is more, um, you know, riding a motorcycle really fast or jumping out of an airplane or something like that. Um, and so, we can start to connect the dots between personality traits and neurotransmitter balance, and that's heavy. where... Have you seen, uh, free solo? Have you watched any of these rock climbing documentaries? I have not seen that. No
1: dude, you need to check it out. Right. So, um, not to cut you off, but, uh, like that's what they found with these, with these free solo rock climbers is like the guys that do it without a rope, right? Is that they have like basically non existent levels of dopamine. Yeah. And they have to go through these ultra crazy experiences in order to even like feel like they're
0: alive. Yeah, exactly. And so it's low levels of baseline dopamine. Then the other thing is they have high sensitivity to dopamine. So basically, they have more receptive, more dopamine receptors. So when they do get that increase, uh, it, it potentiates them, it gets them, you know, there's a high uh, reward response. So they want more of it. And naturally, you know, you're going to do other behaviors. And that can be, you know, a positive thing when it comes to something like training, Where if you exercise, you will get a dopamine rush from it, Uh, but it can be a negative when it comes to something like you know more addictive um, drugs, gambling, that sort of thing, uh, because you do have more propensity for um, those types of behaviors. Uh, And so, the evolution from kind of looking at personality types and then how it relates to training, nutrition. um, The first that I started to get into it was I was reading a lot of Charles Poliquin's work, and he was basically taking. The concepts from the Braverman assessment, which is one of the personality assessments um, that psychologists use and then, you know, a lot of uh, employers would use to hire people. And um, he kind of took some of that science and then applied it to training athletes. Uh, and then as I, it was, you know, interesting and uh, I just kind of, that was my first introduction to the concept. And then um, my coach and mentor, Christian Thibodeau, um, took Charles's concept and just basically elaborated on it. And really, he had a uh, strong psychology background as well, and started to just branch out the concepts. And, um, you know, I was working very closely with him at the time. So he would give me like different studies to look at and research to look at. And and we would have conversations frequently about, uh, you know, what we were seeing in our clients. And um, essentially, it was, you know, being able to break it down into five neurotypes or five neurological profiles um, and classified based off of neurotransmitter balance. And so, uh, you know, I talked about the dopamine dominant. Those are your, you know, type 1s, which has two subdivisions. So you have type 1a and type 1b. Um, And type 1as are dopamine dominant. They have low levels of dopamine, but they have high sensitivity to any increase in dopamine. And they also have high serotonin. Um, now, serotonin is, is a neurotransmitter that gives us that that sense of well-being that calms us down. Um, so if you look at the characteristics of a type 1A, they are going to be extroverted. They're going to be very outgoing, typical leader of the group. Uh, they don't do well with authority. It's kind of like, do it my way or, you know, fuck off. And, uh, you know, they, they curse a lot. They're just... Um, you know they they are very much you know who they are and uh, they're super competitive. Uh, they when it comes to training they they love to just lift heavy shit. They get amped up by putting more weight on the bar and it's like grind it out type of, of sets. And um, because they have high levels of serotonin, they also handle stress very well. So they can recover quickly. Serotonin helps us calm the brain down. So we have neurotransmitters that amp us up. Like dopamine, and then we have neurotransmitters that calm us down. Serotonin is one of those. so when it comes to like performing under pressure, type 1A is going to thrive because they have that that high baseline level of serotonin. Um, then when you look at a type 1 b, they're also dopamine dominate dominant so there's going to be some similarities to the two types. The biggest difference is that type 1 Bs have high acetylcholine, which is basically the motor learning neurotransmitter, so they are the type of people that they pick up skills very quickly they're the athletes that we love to hate because you show them how to do something once and they 've got it just like that they don 't need very much instruction they 're just naturally gifted. Um, acetylcholine also helps with our our memory with being able to um, you know multitask so uh, they're they're the type that like they need a lot of brain stimulation. They like to, you know, take on a bunch of different projects at once. Um they they're super impatient. They get bored very easily, so it's like, you know, give me more supersets, more explosive lifting. Um their their personalities are very explosive uh, because the neurotransmitter that calms them down uh, is is GABA so they have higher levels of GABA and the difference between serotonin and GABA is that serotonin think of more like the brake pedal on your car where it can modulate you know based off of how amped up you are whereas GABA is like that parking brake it's that hard stop so they're either on or off so you could you know a type 1B you could see them at rest and they're just like chilling lounging around you know they seem very low key and then all of a sudden they go 0 to 100 They explode almost like a sprinter and then you see them afterwards and they're just back to like nothing happened. And that can be like in in their personal life too. If you've ever met somebody where they like explode on you in an argument start cursing you out and then like two seconds later, they're like, hey, yeah, you want to go grab a drink? And you're like, wait. (laughs) And for them, it's just their personality type, um, kind of how their brain is wired. Um, And then as you transition to the type twos, there's also type – there's a subdivision type 2A and type 2B. Um, and the type two A's are adrenaline dominant. And adrenaline is a neurotransmitter that is, it also amps you up. And it's kind of like that stress response neurotransmitter. Um, it gets you ready to handle whatever stress is in front of you. So you'll see kind of characteristics of increased in adrenaline will be, you know, more confidence, more alertness. You're, you're ready to go. You're, you have better muscle contractions, more blood flow. Um, so type two a s have very low levels of baseline adrenaline, but they 're highly sensitive to any increase in it so you 'll almost see like split personalities with a type two a when when adrenaline 's low you 're going to have the opposites you 're going to have low confidence more insecurities so a type 2a when they're not potentiated by adrenaline uh they're going to be this very uh submissive almost like you know very introverted they lack confidence and then once that adrenaline kicks in they become this alpha version of themselves so um you know i'm actually a type 2a so if you were to just hang out with me like outside you know i'm just like chilling in my apartment or whatever uh i'm going to be very quiet i'm going to be you know laid back very introverted uh you'll probably think like oh this guy doesn't talk very much. But if I'm in the gym, or I'm out with friends, anything that increases adrenaline, all of a sudden, I get I get amped up, I'm, you know, more outgoing, I'm more confident. And so that's, you know, type 2As actually have a pretty well balanced profile of neurotransmitters. And um, they're very good at reading people. Uh, so they're almost like the chameleons of the neurotypes, where they can kind of blend into any situation. Um, and it's it's almost a they, they um, do very well or kind of like seek the admiration or approval of others. And so uh, their personality type fits that where, uh, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, I'm good at reading them. So then I can kind of blend my personality to fit, you know, their personality and, and get that uh, reciprocity. And that's kind of what type two A's look for. Um, and then the type two B's, uh, they are, uh, their main excitory neurotransmitter is glutamate, which is an emotional amplifier, uh, so glutamate is actually something that you'll find in like um, highly processed foods or like commercial coffee. And, and the reason that it's placed in there is because it amplifies your emotion. So if you think about kind of like the cascading effect of, of stuff like that from a neurotransmitter standpoint, you get a dopamine hit, which is kind of that pleasure response. And you get that glutamate hit, which then amplifies that that positive feeling because they want you to continue to buy that food or that coffee or whatever it may be. Uh, but type 2Bs have a very high level of glutamate, so they're very emotional. And that can be, um, you know, whether it's a positive emotion or a negative emotion, it's going to be, you know, more amplified. They're they're more of like the uh, the people who do well in a one-on-one setting. They're very good listeners. Um, you know, they, they like to... They're very much based off of feeling uh, when it comes to training. They're more of your like bodybuilder types. They love to feel their muscles working. They love the pump, you know, that sort of thing. Um, now, when it comes to their uh, neurotransmitters that calm them down, uh, glutamate is actually converted into GABA, and type two Bs have very high levels of glutamate but very low levels of GABA. So what that looks like from a personality standpoint is they're typically more anxious uh, because if you are low in your neurotransmitters that calm you down, that means that your brain is kind of amped up and more excited. um, And anxiety is just amplified neuronal activity. So your neurons are just firing faster. And if you don't have enough of the neurotransmitters to slow down that firing, um, you're going to be naturally an anxious person. Uh, And then the last type is a type three. They are serotonin dominant. And basically, um, they have low levels of serotonin. And because of that, they are overly anxious as well. Um, Serotonin is that neurotransmitter that's our our sense of of well-being or the feel-good Neurotransmitter. So a type three um, is typically going to be more anxious. They they like to follow a plan. They don't want anything to be unknown. Um, they, you know, they are very organized. It's, you know, uh, almost like technique geeks when it comes to lifting because they want to feel in total control of a movement. They want to know their, their lifting routine, you know, months out in advance so they can plan ahead. Like, you know, think of accountants or people who um, just have a very structured life uh, that's typical of a type three. Um, so I know that was a, a, long tangent to explain all of the neurotypes, but I hope that gives you at yeah. least some sort of a sense.
1: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad that I've got a background in psychology and I understood like the neurotransmitters that you were saying now with that said, like when I learned about neurotransmitters and, and all that kind of shit, like it was not applied in the same fashion, which is really, really interesting, you know? Um, and then all, all those different types, like you're picturing, at least I am in my head, like, all right, that's this person. That's me. That's like, when you said you, you know, you defined your neurotype. I was like, yeah, that's hundred percent you. Cause I didn't even realize like that you enjoyed saying more than five words yeah. at a time when <laughs> we're in the when the mastermind groups together, like, yeah. and I'm like, does this guy ever talk? Like, he's got a ton of knowledge. Like I want to hear more, but you got to find you in your right setting
0: yeah, in order exactly. to get that. Yeah, 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 and that's what most people, um, you know, when, when I explain the different types, you'll typically have uh, one of you know one of two things happen. Like either you know somebody who fits that type exactly, or you hear something that applies to you. Um, but the other thing is that you'll start to see pieces of well, actually, I'm a little bit of type two A, but some of that type three also applied, and that's perfectly normal because we have one dominant profile that is largely based off of our genetics, uh, but then we all have different you know, upbringings and the environment that we were raised in and our learned experience and, you know, just, you know, career path and how we were educated. So there's so many different individual factors that will impact some of the characteristics that fit. So um, even within each neurotype, there's going to be individual variants, but, you know, we all have that one dominant profile and then we'll have characteristics of a secondary profile and sometimes of two other profiles.
1: Yeah. Would you say that it's uh, it can be based situationally as well? Because I know like for me, like type 1, like type 1A, type, type 1B, like that's definitely where I fall in, um, except for in a new situation where I don't know people and I'm going to be super guarded. So I'm not going to act like, you know, your typical, like, uh, you know, the adrenaline seeking, you know, type person, uh, like thrill seeking, like those type of behaviors. I'm not going to do that until I feel comfortable in the setting that I'm in.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, as far as you, you'll you'll tend to take on characteristics um, of your secondary profile when you when there's periods of, of high stress. So, um, you know, if you are a type two A and let's say uh, you're you're going through a period of, of high stress, typically you'll see you start to take on characteristics of a type two B. Um, you just become more emotional. You you know, and I found this even with my training, where um, you know if I'm going through like a rough period. Um, I, I just want to do some bodybuilding work, like get in, feel my muscles working and get out. And um, And it's just that, that going through that period of where I'm just a little bit more stressed than normal, uh, you tend to kind of default to uh, your secondary profile. And then on the flip side of that, when you are in a period where like things are going great and you're feeling really good about yourself, um, you'll typically shift where I'll go from like a type 2A to a type 1B. Now all of a sudden like things are going well, I'm feeling confident and now I'm just like, you know, I'm more outgoing. I'm trying to take on more of a leadership role and, and so it can definitely be situational. That's awesome.
1: Um- Yeah. So how do you go about identifying these neurotypes? Are you doing like, are you pulling blood work? Are you looking for the neurotransmitters themselves? Or are you looking for behavioral patterns and like personality inventories and that type of
0: thing? Yeah, it's all through behavioral testing and and personality typing. Um, I used to do every single assessment over the phone. Um, which would be con- which would be like an hour long conversation well, yeah, and going yeah, through. <laughs> <can imagine>. uh, <laughs> and, and in the beginning, it wasn't too bad because you know not a lot of people knew about it, and I was just you know doing this with you know a handful of my clients. But then as uh, people started wanting, you know, people wanted to learn more, uh, you know, we developed a full uh like neurotyping specific assessment where uh, we have a hundred question questionnaire um, now the only the only downfall with the questionnaire is that it will depend on like the mood that you're in when you take the questionnaire. So it's not 100% perfect, but it gives us a really strong sense of what your neurotype is. Uh, We're working on something now that will actually identify more of the neurotransmitter balance versus just what is your neurotype. But we also wanted to add to uh, basically be able to say, this is what your neurotyping test shows. And then we also have some follow-up data that shows neurotype uh, or neurotransmitter balance uh, and that will give you know especially for any coaches who want to implement neurotyping in, into their training or nutrition um, knowing the actual neurotransmitter balance for somebody is, is going to be a huge asset and so that's kind of where we're trying to take the assessment next to to try to patch up some of the holes that are in that process right now do
1: you have any uh information or any data on like shift workers and how that affects the neurotransmitters and uh and how that would affect your neurotype based on you know I know my my personality when I worked nights was is slightly different than when it is when I'm rested and working a day shift schedule.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's a, a ton of different areas that we have to look at. But first is if you look at somebody who's not following a natural circadian rhythm right off the bat, uh GABA is the neurotransmitter that, that calms us down as I mentioned, but um, it kind of flows in line with our circadian rhythm. So anytime uh, you're interrupting that, that rhythm, um, you're kind of depleting your body's ability to, uh, produce GABA. So you're, you're already kind of, um, setting up a, uh, in a situation where you've got some imbalances going on from a neurotransmitter standpoint. So GABA actually like the, the, the way that I try to describe it is like when you're sleeping, GABA goes through and tells each neuron in your brain to chill out. And that's kind of the role that it plays. Um, but if if you're disrupted, so like if you think about any time you drink alcohol, um, you kind of um, your body cannot get into a deep sleep. You know, even if it's just a couple of drinks, uh, and by and by not being able to get into a deep sleep, you inhibit the uh, GABA's ability to do its job. And when you wake up the next morning and you feel like shit, and you you're craving like carbs or something to get you. Feeling better, um, it's because you're depleted of GABA, and your and your body's trying to to get back to homeostasis, and that's one of the reasons why. It's because um, you weren't able to get into a you know follow your circadian rhythm, get into a deep sleep, and the same thing is when you're on shift work. Um, so right off the bat, you're kind of um, setting yourself up where you're relying more on serotonin than GABA, and you know over time, you can your body will adjust to your your sleep schedule, but not fully. Um, so you know, you'll get more used to um, kind of, you know, if you're working nights, you'll get a little bit used to that and your body will adapt, but it, it never fully adapts and you'll start to rely more heavily on serotonin. Um, what's, what happens in that scenario is if you're not managing stress outside of that and you have other stress that's kind of dependent on serotonin to calm you down, you can end up depleting serotonin as well and end up in a, in a situation where you're depleted of both GABA and serotonin. And that's where, um, you can really kind of feel like shit. So, um, as far as, sorry, um, as far as like the dopamine side of things, you know, sh- you know, shift work and kind of any, any work that's going to really get you amped up to, to perform, so, you know, if you're an officer and, and you're kind of placed in high stress situations, uh, you're going to rely on dopamine and adrenaline uh, to keep you going. And uh, one of the worst things that can happen is either depleting dopamine or desensitizing the dopamine receptors uh, because it's that, uh, you know, it's that uh, that neurotransmitter that basically gets you ready. Uh, it makes you feel good. It's It's that pleasure center. All of a sudden you realize like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you have no motivation. You have just no drive. You're like, I just don't feel like doing anything. Stuff that normally would excite you just doesn't excite you anymore, and you can start to see some you know, some mood disorders start to develop. Um, so those are some of the challenges. If you don't have a, you know, a protocol in place as far as nutrition, training, and lifestyle to, to manage those things, um, you're kind of up against you know, some challenges from a, from a neurotransmitter standpoint.
1: Yeah. So let's, uh, so let's talk about like hypothetical, right? So say you work nights, right? So it's, uh, it's like straight overnight schedule, um, 10 P to six, a, you know, for example, so like an eight eight and a half, eight hour shift, right. Um, on the street in a patrol car, in a fairly active area, right? So let's say lights and sirens are going on regularly. You're, you're, you're getting some, uh, some, you know, sympathetic shifts, like probably I would say eight times throughout that. So at least once an hour you're going sympathetic, right? And from, and then outside of that, so not only is your sleep disrupted, but you, you get some high rev shit going on. Um, and then outside of that, let's say you have some financial stress, or some relationship management issues that you're dealing with, right? Because as cops, like, I don't know if you know this or not, but cops are typically not good with money or relationships. Uh, so that adds a little bit more stress. Um, so what what is that person doing? And let's say, like, just based on the neurotypes, I'm just picking, like, stereotypical cop, probably type 1A or B. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially if you're going to be more hard-charging, that kind of stuff. Um, so what are the biggest risks of for that Person, right there. Like, what do you see? Like, straight out of the gate, like red flag number one. Here it is.
0: Yeah, red flag number one would be desensitizing your dopamine receptors and desensitizing your adrenaline receptors, and you can actually do both, which would be just a, a terrible situation. Um, you know, more likely to happen first would be that you desensitize your adrenaline receptors because adrenaline was was made to be a short burst. So, uh, you know, as we evolved, uh, we were kind of. We evolved to handle acute stress. Uh, if you think about it, like, you know, you were faced with a tiger, you either run or fight, and that was it. The stress is over. Um, and the only time that we would have a chronic stress would be because of a lack of food or famine. Uh, but, you know, evolutionary speaking, we didn't have very many chronic stressors that we were dealing with. So adrenaline was this neurotransmitter that's like, hand, it's like the NOS in your car. It's like, hit that turbo boost Deal with whatever you have to deal with, and then shut it off. Um, so the adrenaline receptors don't want adrenaline attached to it for very long. And if it if it is um, like you're dealing with a chronic stress, like you have an eight you know an eight hour shift, and you've got you know you you got to be on, you've got to be alert you need adrenaline to perform in that scenario, um, you know, those receptors can desensitize pretty quickly if you're not getting into parasympathetic mode. Um, And it doesn't happen, obviously, overnight, but chronically, um, if you're continuously tapping into that sympathetic mode, um, you know, adrenaline's going to be up. And then the other thing that has to happen with adrenaline being up is cortisol has to be up. So um, the process of converting noradrenaline into adrenaline actually happens through cortisol. So, um, you know, cortisol is the – it's known as the stress hormone, but it's really the readiness hormone because it gets, you know, it gets you into that adrenaline state. It also – mobilizes your stored energy to give you the resources to handle the stress that you're facing. Um, And cortisol is also something that is not supposed to be elevated. It follows a natural rhythm. It's not supposed to be elevated at night. It's not supposed to be elevated for very long. Um, So you could end up in a situation there where you've got, you know, uh, your adrenaline receptors are desensitized. Your body's overproducing cortisol. Um, So, you know, there's just a ton of things from a, uh, from a body composition standpoint, but also from a neurological standpoint where you will literally, uh, the best way to just explain it is you'll feel like total shit. You will um, not be able to perform. I think when, you know, trying to distinguish between the difference between if it's a dopamine issue or if it's an adrenaline issue is when it's an adrenaline issue, you feel like you can't hit that gear that you normally hit. And, um, you know, I've never been you know on a on a shift like that. So I can't kind of, uh, relate on that level. But if you think about it in terms of training, um, and you know, you, you can normally kick it up a notch, but for some reason you just don't have that like fifth gear. Um, it's typically an adrenaline issue. Whereas with dopamine, um, you just have no, you have no motivation. You have no sex drive. Your mood is shit. Um, you, you know, something that normally excites you just, you have no interest in doing it, Um, that's typically signs that it's more of a dopamine issue than an adrenaline. And, you know, talking about all of those things, they can all happen. And it's kind of, we we tend to look at things in a silo, but all these things are interconnected because adrenaline is actually fabricated downstream from dopamine. So if you are tapping into adrenaline too much, you're actually pulling resources away from dopamine. So you could really end up in a shitstorm of desensitizing your dopamine receptors desensitizing your adrenaline receptors and having cortisol issues and and to you know to say that you'll have no energy like feeling wired when you're supposed to be calming down um, you know not being able to shut your brain off not being you know motivated by anything just poor mood um, easily irritable uh, that sort of thing so you can you can see some of the some of the negative uh, side effects of that.
1: Man, I feel like you just described, like, 90% of all the guys that work midnight. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically, like, what I was saying is that um, the, uh, like, packaging that what we just talked about or what you just talked about and described basically to a T was, uh, uh, you know, like – HPA axis disorder, adrenal fatigue, like all of the kind of stuff that, you, you know, in more layman's term, terms, I guess, uh, is what uh, what we see inside of law enforcement, like especially working nights, working high stress, stress outside the job. And it becomes an issue of like, man, like you can usually get the work done on the job. You know what I mean? Like your body, in, in my experience, like doing doing this work will always find a way. To survive and it'll, it'll get the job done in the moment that it needs to by connecting whatever dots it absolutely has to. Now, how well you perform in that, in that instance, um, that, that can definitely be affected. Like I've had some, some pretty high stress stuff where it's like, man, I can't believe I performed at the level I did, um, with being as stressed as I was outside the job. You know what I mean? But, uh, had I not been aware of, of, of these things, then there's no way that it would have turned out as well as it did. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but like, yeah, going back to that, like, you know, you'll get the job done when you need to, but outside of that, you man, like you could talk about like drinking depression, like sleep, sleep disruption. And how do we fix that sleep disruption? Yeah. You have a few cocktails and what does that do? It further takes you down the rabbit hole of wrecking yourself as far as your neurotransmitters, your hormones, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and then, you know, you don't, and on top of that, like you wake up and you're like, oh, I should go work out. And you're like, I really don't feel like working out. I really don't feel like doing anything because now I got a part time that I'm working before I go on to my regular shift. So that takes my eight and a half hour shift to like a 12 or 16 hour shift. Right. And then uh, and then you just continue to basically circle the drain like this until all of a sudden, like you, you, you get up one day and you're like, how in the fuck am I 20 pounds overweight or more? I'm, you know, super stressed. I'm looking at, you know high blood pressure and all these different things that my doctor's telling me like, Hey dude, you need to get your shit under control. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're bankrupt. Maybe like all these things happen so often. And, uh, and that's where like really understanding the different parts of our physiology and, uh, from like, you know, nutrition to training to all of those things. And and even here, like hormones and neurotransmitters and how that plays a role because like I always tell everybody, especially, you know, anybody that works second or third shift, like you have to understand that you can only tap the well so many times of sympathetic response. These hormones are finite. And if you continue to tap it like over and over and over again on shift, and then you continue to do like um, like I did with competitive CrossFit on top of all of this, right? And then not understanding like, hey, maybe you should have a carb once in a while too, because paleo is probably not the greatest answer for you, right? Yeah. Um, you you just bury yourself and it takes a long time to come back.
0: Yeah, it really yeah. does. And I'm glad you brought that up and because your body will – get what it needs. And so what you see is when you're depleted of dopamine, uh, your body's going to find a way to get you that dopamine hit that you crave. Um, And and that's going to look like, you know, the more that you are depleting – the more extreme you have to go to because just a regular dopamine hit when you're desensitized to it is not going to do the trick. So something like exercise is probably not going to be very motivating. Um, you know. And all of a sudden you start to go to more extreme measures and you see that when people like get into gambling or drug use or they become addicted to technology. Uh, it, ha- it keeps growing from there because eventually that activity – you know, you're not getting enough of the dopamine that your body craves. And so well, you and, just amplify and, yeah. it.
1: And to jump in here, like another thing that we see it with cops is like, all right, so like the divorce rate for general population isn't good, you know, anyway, like 50% plus, right. So within law enforcement, I want to say it's up like 75 or 80%. Like it's psychotic, right. And a lot of it comes to, like, all right, so officers having affairs with other officers, on, you know, and or and or like night shift nurses or people that were gas station attendants, like some crazy shit where you're like, why would you have an affair with that person? Or why would you do that with that? Like, like, that doesn't make any sense. But it's like, oh, well, you're craving that dopamine hit. And that's how you've chosen to to get it. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And type one A's are actually the most prone to having affairs. So, um, you know, typically you'll see for, for officers, there'll be more type one, a type one B. Um, and Mm -hmm. and it fits in line with, you know, the low levels of dopamine, but high sensitivity to it. But then if you're desensitized, you're trying to take, you know, other measures to get what your body is asking for. So it it makes sense from a, you know, from a neurological perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, how How would you say, is it possible to change your neurotype, you know, over time? I think we touched on it a little bit, but as far as like, you know, like I listened to Rob Wolf talk about like epigenetics and like twin studies and that kind of stuff. um, You know, like over how long, I know that's going to be variable per person. Like say you were wanting to change your neurotype. Is there a benefit to that? Should you do that? And is it even possible?
0: Yeah, so there are strengths and weaknesses to each neurotype. I don't, I wouldn't say that one is better or worse than the other. Um, they all come with their benefits and challenges. Um, as far as like changing your neurotype, you can't change your neurotype because it's genetically determined. Um, however, you can modify your behavior. So being aware that you have certain tendencies, uh, you can start to, uh, you know, take practices that will help you improve how you handle a certain situation. Um, so, like, I know as a type 2A, um, you know, I I had, like, type 2As have FOMO. You know, we, we want to be involved in everything. And so I know that if uh, there's something going on, even if I don't even want to be doing it, I'm like, I, I just, I have that FOMO. Um, and so when I was in a previous relationship, um, you know, anytime uh, she would go out, I wouldn't be jealous, but I was like, well, I want to be involved in that. And if I'm not involved in that, then I would start acting, you know, I would whatever, start a fight or do something to just, you know, it, it was just something that I was kind of, it's part of my, my, uh, you know, how my brain is wired. Uh, once I had that awareness around why I do that and kind of like the reasoning behind it, it made sense based off of my brain chemistry. And I understand the rationale behind it, um, I was able to modify that behavior and and see that ahead of time, and then react differently and improve just because I have that self awareness of you know I don't have to just use that as an, ex- as an excuse and like oh well I'm just a type two A so I can act like an asshole anytime you go out um, you know I'm able to use that information to my to my advantage and be like okay let's let's work on this behavior and be more aware and and cognizant of how I'm I'm responding and so you can make changes um it but you can't actually change uh, your your dominant profile if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, will that adjust your uh your level of neurotransmitters at all you think? I mean, is that even, you know, yeah, so, even
0: uh, behaviorally not much that can be done there. I mean, there's stuff that we can do kind of on um you know like with nutrition and training. There's stuff that we can definitely do um to balance out neurotransmitters and uh you know if you're somebody who's dopamine dominant, then you definitely want to be eating a high protein, uh, you know, diet and getting in enough aminos that are kind of like L-tyrosine is an amino acid that's kind of the building block of dopamine. Um, so having you know a high protein diet is important for a type one, uh, type one A or B. Um, so there's things that we can do from nutrition, supplement, training, lifestyle that will help, you know, carbs help in the production of serotonin. Um, So when you're in a situation where you're depleting serotonin because of being overly stressed and constantly tapping into that uh, sympathetic mode, um, you know, having a higher carb diet to help with serotonin production makes a lot of sense. Um, It's not really going to change your baseline levels, if that makes sense. So it's going to be more of an acute change to help. Um, But if you continuously are doing that on a daily basis with your nutrition, your lifestyle, your training, um, then you are able to uh, look at the challenges that your neurotype faces and help to kind of mitigate some of some of the negatives that you might be facing or the challenges you might be facing.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking even um, it's kind of the same, but not really Uh, I think I watched a a Ted talk and I've heard some other studies on this too, but basically like social psychology studies of like standing in like, you know, a negative defeated, like sad position, basically shoulders forward, hunched over, uh, and then testing saliva or, uh, uh, testosterone levels in saliva and then take that same person, make them stand like hands on hips, like superhero pose. And all of a sudden, like, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, 60 minutes later, whatever it is, like those testosterone levels are much higher just based in the social, social psychology of positioning yourself as a more dominant person, I guess. So that's, uh, that's kind of where, where I'm thinking with that as far as like changes, like, are they going to be huge baseline changes? Well no, probably not. But that along with behavioral changes, and to understanding like, hey, you're a type, you know, a type three person, but you really want to be uh, in, a, in a leadership position, or you want to be like a promoted or or you want to be on a SWAT team or something like that? That's typically like Type One A. That you're going to have to start exhibiting features of that person, even though you're not. So it's really going to be like like a fish swimming up upstream. You know, not to say you can't do it, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be difficult. For, yeah, you know, un- uncomfortable if nothing else.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we look at you know strategies to overcome that. So a Type Three, they just want to feel in total control. They don't like any unknown. They want to like master uh, what they're doing. Uh, to feel confident, you know, so if it's something like a leadership role, if they have been, you know, very organized and they've studied and they've like, you know, owned what they have to what they have to do, um and there's no unknowns or unknown variables thrown at them, they can absolutely like, you know, giving a presentation even though type 3s are very, you know, internal, they they're like very cerebral, they have that internal dialogue going on. They're not super, you know, they don't like to talk about themselves, they're not outgoing, but if they have to give a presentation and talk in front of a, a lo- you know, a group of people, um, if they know the material inside and out and have planned and studied for it, then they have no problems performing. It's just, you know, we have to look at strategies like knowing the personality type um, and then, you know, some ways to just get them to where they want to be.
1: Yeah, I think this'll, this will this this will even help me with uh, like identifying this stuff in my kids as they go through like school. You know, and like, all right, what's the best way for you to study for a test, even like this is just knowing knowing more and being armed with more knowledge about about your physiology, human physiology in general, and then how that's going to, uh, you know, translate into behaviors. And then how do we get how do we how do we change behaviors? Because as, as coaches, like that's always what I'm looking for is how do I change the behavior of the person in front of me? Like they're coming to me for, for a reason, you know, they're, to change something. Now, how do I change that behavior, the behaviors in them necessary to get them where they want to go?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's my belief that one of the biggest challenges that we face with kids today is the over accessibility to technology, which every time, uh, you know, kid picks up a screen or, you know, checks social media, they're getting that dopamine hit. Um, and it's happening younger and younger. Uh, and one of the worst things that you can do for, for the development of, you know, of any kid is to deplete their dopamine or desensitize them to dopamine. And I think that's why you see, you know, some issues now with, with kids and, you know, having like porn addictions at a younger age and, um, just getting into, you know, some, you know, drug use at a younger age or having mood disorders or anxiety at a younger age, stuff that we didn't really see all that much. Uh, But now with technology, it's like there is literally a dopamine hit every single time you get a like on social media, every single time you pick up and hit on that Instagram app, you're getting a dopamine hit. And it's just, it's becoming uh, a huge problem now. And I think that's like the next big challenge that we face, um, not just with kids, but for our overall, uh, you know, wellness.
1: Yeah. Well, and just kind of shift back into the, the police realm of things like what are what are most coppers doing when they're sitting in a car between runs? They're on their phone, picking it up, checking Instagram, get on Facebook, like getting dopamine hits along with all the other crap that we're doing in between, you know, and uh, it it really becomes like to me, the shift work, especially when you're like, you know, run to run to run. You've got to take that time between runs and it can be variable from like five minutes between runs to an hour or two, if it's a slow night, maybe even two or three, you know? Um, and then not all runs are super intense, you know, most are not, but understanding that in your downtime, it has to be somewhat down. You get, you do your job, you get the report done, and then you need to figure out a way to downregulate and calm down between runs on the clock,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's kind of a, a gift and a curse, um, for shift work. And, you know, typically you'll see type 1As and type 1Bs um, in that line of work. Uh, Type 1As have high levels of serotonin naturally, so they're more resilient. You can handle more stress. I think that's a good thing, but then it can also be a curse in that um, knowing that you tend to just overextend yourself or burn the candle at both ends and you kind of just throw more fuel in the fire. And then the type 1Bs, it's the same thing. You have high levels of GABA so they can end high levels of acetylcholine, which is like uh, a very resilient athlete or somebody who can you know, take on a lot of different tasks and be totally fine. Uh, but at some point, you overextend yourself and, you know, having that to fall back on can be a good thing when, when you need it, but overuse and and getting to that depleted state where you've kind of tapped yourself out is, is not a place that you want to go.
1: No. And that's where, you know, I feel like, you know, going, going uphill from one direction, like fish, like we've talked about the fish swimming upstream to, you know, you have to exhibit different behavior stuff that's outside of your comfort zone. I know for me, I've had to go the other way, especially in the last like five years, like, all right, I got to learn how to do things and, you know, slower and downregulate and call, you know, and, uh, and, and go the other direction. Cause it's so easy for me to go hard, you know, all the time. And, uh, it's, it, it comes at a price. So like you can either learn it early and not, and not have to go through that and then become much more of a well-rounded person when you, it can, can like, you know, as much as like your baseline is, is your baseline, your neurotype is your neurotype right? But if you learn to accept these other things and these other behaviors that maybe these other neurotypes do, and then you can become a more well-rounded person. Now that'll always be your baseline, but it'll just make you a, a better human for one. And two, it's going to extend your longevity and whatever you feel like doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point, being able to tap into that rest and digest mode actually increases your ability to get amped up and perform. So a lot of times we don't think about how that correlates, but, you know, being able to go parasympathetic will actually improve your ability to use that adrenaline for what it's supposed to do. And actually, um, like you mentioned, your body will find a way to get the job done when you're in the moment, but how well could you be performing? You you know, you could be more alert. You could even be more, you know, um, just doing a better job. And, and I think that's, you know, sometimes we don't make that connection, but, uh, they're directly related. So let's get into
1: that for a second. This is this is a big one that I wanted to touch base with you on too. With um, you know, you and Jason did that uh, did that Instagram feed or the Facebook live the other day, whatever it was, and uh, and you talked about that, like you know, being able to go hard, sympathetic, cool, right? We all want to go hard. We all want to lift heavy. We all want to, you know, like we like law enforcement. We say, train for the fight. Train for the fight. Like, okay, so that means like if I'm training for a real fight that's going to go down the street, like I'm not going to skimp on intensity. Like that is level ten intensity as hard as you can go. Now, with that said, you need to have the other side of the coin. And can you explain a little bit more about like cause if uh if if I would have had that explained to me in, you know, when I was doing CrossFit, like I would have bought myself another three years, like yeah. going hard. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: so like explain that to me a little bit more. Like it was it was really awesome the way you guys described it.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna try to do my best without a visual, but um you know, if yeah. we just look at it like you have your parasympathetic mode and your sympathetic mode. So the parasympathetic is our recovery mode, our rest and digest. Our our sympathetic is our fight or flight. So that's handling a stress, that's performing on the job, that's training, um, anything that gets us amped up. Now, if you think about your potential to touch, you know, all in on that sympathetic mode, like you, you like you talk about killing a workout, let's call that a 10 on the sympathetic scale. Now, on the parasympathetic scale, your rest and digest mode, how well can you recover? Let's say that you can go to a 10 on that side of the scale. Now, your ability to touch 10 on the parasympathetic, so your recovery, will directly impact your ability to touch 10 on sympathetic. So now those two things, that gap is gonna kind of be equal. If I'm only recovering to a four, then I can only get amped up to about a four. Uh, So one of the mechanisms for that is adrenaline. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, it's supposed to be the NOS. It's supposed to be that turbo boost. Um, if adrenaline, if you're only recovering to a four, you've kind of got like that leak in the NOS where when you try and turn it all the way up, it, there's not that much left. So, um, if I'm only recovering to a four and I try and hit that NAS, I'm only getting it up to a four because I was letting it leak without getting deeper into that recovery state. Um, and so, uh, you know, that delta in between the two is, is kind of going to be equal. Uh, so we, our ability to, you know, kill it on, on the job or crush a workout and hit that 10 is directly correlated to how well we can hit the 10 on the parasympathetic recovery side.
1: Yeah. And it, in, in between, right. So, all right. So let me go back for a second. So like doing that, it may take, so say you screw that up and you're only going back to a four, but you're on the parasympathetic side, but on the sympathetic side, you're going to like level 10. Right. Um, I think my experience has been that you can do that for a while. Right. It's not going to happen like overnight. Like if you don't recover, like, yeah, your workout might, might suffer a little bit, but you can push through, especially if you're younger, more resilient, like, you can absolutely push through and it's going to take some time to beat yourself up enough to where it's like, okay, you can no longer touch that sympathetic side anymore.
0: Exactly. And that your max is going to continue to shift closer. Um, you know, because you're not recovering, you're no longer, your no, your best effort is no longer a 10. It's now an eight. And then the more that you are under recovered, now it's a six. And, you know, and, and that process just continues on if you don't, uh, you know, focus on that recovery
1: yeah. And like I said, for that's going to be different for everybody, you know, depending on, on your history and where you're at and how old you are. Uh, and I try to tell these, it's funny, I, I just talked to, I think my dad about this the other day, but I try to tell these younger athletes or these younger cops, like, hey, you got to make sure that you're focusing on like your breathing, how to downregulate your sleep, your nutrition, like you got to focus on these things or going hard ain't going to happen. And they look at me like, fuck off, old man. Like, what do you know? And then I, then I think back and I, first I get pissed and I'm like, why aren't they listening to me? And then, uh, then I think back to me in my twenties and I'm like, yeah, I remember these people said the same shit to me and I didn't listen to them either. So it's like, uh, how do we, how do we, you know, break the cycle with this? And really it's like when you're ready to listen, the teacher will appear, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, you know hopefully we can get through to some people and it's like listen like you know cause like a lot of times we talk about down regulating to young athletes and young cops and and it's like they don't want to hear that I don't want to hear about how to relax I want to hear about how to go hard and how to have fun and how to like push the pace and, and you know and just go crazy with intensity and uh man it's like it's it's boring to think about downregulating to add that into the conversation, but what's the point of downregulation, especially for a type one A? I would say the point of the, the point of being able to downregulate and to fight through and push hard into learning how to be calm is so that you can go harder on the other end. Exactly. You know, and and that's what we got to remember is that like you know some people like to like to meditate and breathe and calm down, and the more I get into it, the more I like it. But I'm also getting a little bit older too, so maybe it comes with time, but It's got to come with the idea of like, I'm learning to stay calm, learning to recover so that I can go super hard when I want to.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, one of the challenges with the type 1A in particular is they have a very hard time with authority. So, you know, it's tough to get that message across, but you kind of have to be creative and, you know, they, they're very competitive. So maybe there's something that, uh, you know, from a, like a competitive nature that you could drive from a, like I'm gonna I'm gonna relax harder than you, <laughs> like something like that. But uh, yeah, you know what I mean. It but, sounds so stupid. It sounds <laughs> stupid, but that's got to be it. Like I'm gonna learn how to breathe better than all these. People.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You know I mean? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to hold my breath longer. It's like yeah. all right, how are you gonna do that? Yeah. Like you know, so you gotta like sneak it in on the back end of stuff. Like I'm gonna nasal breathe with the and keep my heart rate as low as possible through this whole workout. Yeah. Like do it. I carry Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, that's stuff that that I try to do, and and. Uh, you know, and it, it's definitely helpful and it allows me and I, it, it actually allows me to keep the intensity, uh, you know, and, and the, the results within my CrossFit training at a decent level. You know, like um, I don't know if you know anything about CrossFit benchmarks, but like I was telling one of my clients, uh, me at, you know, 36, so last year about this time, I hit a PR Fran which Fran 2159 thrusters and pull-ups like super intense crossfit workout takes about or that one took me 2 minutes and 19 seconds which is fastest i've ever gone right even back when i was going to regionals like i only did it in 220 it's like how am i able to do that on much lower training volume with uh with you know with everything that i have going on with my life right now it's because i've tapped into more of the down regulatory experience so that when i do want to go hard I can go hard and it's really not far off from where I was when I was competitive with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's huge. And being able to connect that for yourself. uh, And then once you figure that out, now you realize, okay, this, this is actually enhancing my ability to go hard. It's not something that, you know, a lot of times the message is like, you know, no days off beast mode, that sort of thing. But then you realize that, oh, it's actually because I was able to recover that I was able to tap into that beast mode, like the, you know, and start to connect that. Um, and I think, like you said, it sometimes it just comes from experience and, and going through the the learning pains. But um, hopefully, you know, we can get some quality information out there that people will will start to to take to it a little bit sooner before they end up in you know some some uh, situations where there's uh, some issues going on with neurotransmitters or hormones or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Chronic adrenal fatigue. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, yeah, I swear, I, I've said this before, but if I would have known some of these things when I was being, um, you know, competitive in CrossFit, I would have bought myself, you know, another year or two at regionals. You know, I wouldn't have gone to the games or anything like that, but it uh, it definitely would have bought me some more time on the floor. And uh, that's, that's the biggest takeaway, I would say. It's like, man, you, you don't sell yourself short because you're looking at getting everything right now, you know? And, uh, and being patient and learning the long game a little bit is, is definitely helpful with it, but
0: yeah, I mean, from a quality of life standpoint too, uh, it it doesn't feel too good to walk around where, uh, you're not, you're not excited about anything and nothing, you know, motivates you and your mood is always off. And, you know, it's not really fun to uh, be in that state just from a quality of life standpoint.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, shifting it back to law enforcement, right? So quality of life, um, becomes a a big factor for anybody that's been on the job for, I would say, five years or more, right? So it becomes not the rush anymore. Like you do get desensitized, whether it's neurotransmitters or just just the job in general. Like you start off and it's like you get into a car chase and it's like your, your heart rate goes up to like 225 beats a minute and everything is like crazy and super intense. And then by the time you get five years on, it's like, eh, you're, you're making phone calls and like ordering food while you're in the middle of the chase and be like, all right, hang on. I got to call you back in a second. Boop. And you know, you just get it done. Um, but yeah, it, it comes with, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of attitude issues like being jaded. Like you talk about issues with authority. Cops are the worst people I've ever seen with issues with authority. You know, myself included. Like, I don't like to be told what to do more, more than just about anybody. Like I suck it up and do it, but I don't like it. You know what I mean? Um, And uh, and making sure that our quality of life is where we want it to be is is critical for being able to do the job the way it needs to be done. So we don't make errors on the job as far as like, you know, fatal errors with driving or, you know, uh, or even even critical errors like in judgment, you know, because if you have a shit quality of life, your judgment is going to be way off. And maybe you say the wrong thing to the wrong person or you don't understand how to apply the, the use of force the right way and you fuck that up and that's really bad, right? Um, and that can be bad for many different levels, you know, being fired, being suspended, being sued, like all of those things are bad, right? But uh, if your quality of life outside the job is low, those chances of making those errors goes way, way up.
0: Yeah, 100% as well said and, you know. It, it just comes back to uh, creating that awareness and, and trying to take the steps to you know, help balance those things out and, and realizing that uh, you know, it needs to be done. And the way that I think with, with shift workers, with law enforcement, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of starting off uh, in that recovery debt um, and, and just have to be a little bit more intentional about how you, how you manage it.
1: Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more.
0: Dude, uh, I
1: could probably talk to you all day, but I think it's been uh, it's been close to an hour. So um, thanks so much again, man. I really appreciate you jumping on. And uh, where can people find more about you and what you're doing and uh, maybe contact you if they uh, so desire?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Um, so anybody can connect with me on Instagram. It's at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And Milner is spelled M-I-L-L-N-E-R. And then my website is peakoptimizationperformance.com. And uh, I'm actually releasing a ebook next week on neurotyping. So if anybody wants to check that out, um, there'll be some cool information in there.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out, dude. So, so much good info. It was so nice to connect with you and like really like uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, just like reconnect some of this stuff with my psychology background, too, which is super fun. At least I feel good about the student loans I have to pay. Enough, so. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. All
1: right. So until next time, guys, stay safe and stay alive.